We are barreling towards Selection Sunday now, less than four weeks away. Greatness put themselves in a really good position, rolling off eight in a row. Another big game tomorrow night at uh, Providence. We welcome in for the World Herald, Joel Lorenzi. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good. You have any uh, big takeaways from the Super Bowl, whether it be on the field or off the field, that you would like to share? Big takeaways from uh, the game? Or the National Anthem or Rihanna at halftime? Um, I'll, I'll keep it up a bunch of things. As you know, I'm a big basketball guy, so I'm not the biggest NFL watcher. I, I can't even say I watch probably – I probably watched half the snaps in that game. Um, and I do think – I was – I can't say I was surprised, but I was a little annoyed with uh, how – overwhelming the flood of the timeline was with Rihanna. Love Rihanna. But damn, you would have thought she played in the game. <laughs> <laughs> now, now she does have, so, like, I think one of her best albums was Auntie, and she only sang maybe one song off of that. Um, I, I said it, it, was a, it was a fine performance. Uh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't, like, overwhelming. It was just fine. It just makes you, under you know, realize how many bangers of hits she has. It seems like everything she has put out has turned into a hit. Oh, agreed. I, I, I was watching, I'm like, damn, like, I, every every song kept going, because, you know, she's only going, like, 30 or so seconds with every song. I'm like, damn, like, I, I, I guess as you're growing up, like, you never really put it in perspective. Because um, I remember when she came out with Umbrella, that's why I feel like she really came on the yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing that she's going through every song, I'm like, damn, she's really been doing this for, forever like she, mm-hmm. she really got that type of catalog well and 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 then for her to sing so i mean to sing run this town and all of the lights solo pieces i thought was pretty impressive as uh well all right let's uh let's shift to some basketball on uh let's shift to some basketball on uh saturday uh did you learn something new about how creatness found ways to win a game was there anything new from saturday that you went okay that's another that's another check on the bookmark of resume leading into the NCAA tournament because they can win a game blank. Did that happen on Saturday? Um, maybe not necessarily new, but I think they've doubled down on kind of what they've been stating over the past month or so in terms of, like, look, we know games where we didn't shoot super hot in the beginning of the year. Uh, meant that we probably didn't have a good chance to win. But now it means that, hey, you you look across the board at the defensive intensity. I mean, this is the best defensive group that Mac has ever coached by now, and at least the metrics will tell you. And um, and now they're not. They're not only are they not out of those games, but they're they're almost winning all those games. Um, and so. They found that balance between, you know, having the threats of shot creators and shot makers and, you know, still not really seeing it fully translate to, to, you know, efficiency from either three or from the field with every game. Mm -hmm. But their defense has carried, man, during this um, eight-game win streak. And um, I've been – more impressed with every game, really. I mean, I, the last 10 minutes or so, there was like a 10-minute stretch in that second half 
I'm like, geez, this is hard to watch. Yeah. Um, but it was only because both teams were so good defensively and um, Creighton outlasted uh, UConn. And then uh, Brian Kalkbrenner, obviously nothing he does surprises me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, it, I, you can't. You can't mention this guy enough when talking about the best defenders in the country. Yeah, and Joel, the you know I won't even go all the way back to last Wednesday, and you mentioned during the eight game winning streak, you know some takeaways here. But now, given where we are in in February, go on the road in a very desperate Seton Hall team in a game. I don't know about you, it just felt like God, it, it was everything was sort of set up for for Seton Hall to to pull that upset off. Creighton withstands that. They close it out. They look tough in doing so. And then that just brawl on Saturday between UConn and Creighton. It's one thing to maybe kind of form that identity early in the season of a pretty tough defensive-minded team that can go to that offensive well when need be. But when you now see it against some some teams that are a little bit more desperate and kind of throwing a lot of different things at you and to still see this Creighton team kind of land on their feet, I mean, does that does – that, is it okay to start maybe getting even a little more optimistic about what this thing and this team could look like in March? Man, I, I think people have been optimistic about that since halfway through the winning streak. I think now mm-hmm. it's like um, they're kind of like a, I don't know, like a full a, a, a train with a full head of steam, mm-hmm. kind of like a LeBron transition at this point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I mean the hype I've seen around his team in the recent, you know, two two weeks or so um, has been wild. And it's, it's, it's kind of, I want to say it surpassed what we saw in the, in the preseason. Yeah. People are really coming back around right. to the idea of creating and what it was supposed to be because um, some of these dudes have really changed their approach. And it's almost like you're watching a different team than we saw in Maui, man. Um, I think these dudes are really playing for each other. And um, they've really changed the expectations. Now they they go from hey we um, we kind of um, look uncharacteristic during a six game losing streak, and now we look like a team that can really have a deep, probably one of the first teams in history, uh, probably the first team in history. I mean, I'm not, I'm not Rob Anderson, but um, <laughs> a team to lose six straight games and go on a deep run. I mean, when have you ever heard of that? But they look every bit like they could do that. Joel Lorenzi from the World Herald joining us here. Um, so you get asked about it a lot on this show, in your mailbag, when you're at the chai. What about that bench? What if they get in foul trouble? I know they don't foul, but what if they get in foul trouble? They're going to be in trouble. And, you know, the, the, the line has been, well, you know, how the bench has been managed and the ability to play minutes and all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things. But when the bench has a moment, I think we need to recognize it. And Saturday was one of those. Who was that guy? And I say this a little tongue in cheek because I'm a big fan of Reef. Joel, who was that guy? Where, who was that guy wearing number four on Saturday? Yeah, um, you know, Sharif uh, got a lot of praise um, over the weekend, and Mac mentioned it. You know, in recent weeks, that he and Reef had to sit down, and Reef noted that he was frustrated with. You know how the year's gone in terms of, um, you know, just everything production and, um, you know, his own personal expectations for himself and and um, Mac just told him to to stay ready and I, I think Sharif was ready 
on Saturday because um, uh, I, I think lost the lost on was been lost to some people during this whole oh people should play Ben Schultzberg or people shouldn't play or they they shouldn't play uh, Sharif was that those dudes all for different things. I mean, um, at at minimum, Sharif is supposed to give a, a different look defensively and really pester dudes and annoy dudes, whoever that might be in the backcourt on any given night. And Jordan Hawkins uh, yeah. is probably as <laughs> tall of an assignment as um, you'll see in the backcourt in the Big East. I mean, that dude is going to be a top 25 pick just off – his movement shooting and how much he can contribute right away. Um, and man, Sharif got into this dude. I mean, between him and Trey Alexander, Jordan Hawkins was in hell, man. And um, Sharif hadn't played. Sharif hadn't played 10 minutes in a long, long time. And Sharif doubled that. Sharif played 19 minutes for the first time since the Holy Cross game. Wow. Um, so to, to carry that type of load, this late in the year after that longer stretch where it was unclear where he stood and, you know, just how his year would go. Um, it, it, it was big for him, man. It was big for that bench because you've seen they've, they've each individually progressed in, in different ways. Joel, take me through, you know, you're, you're watching the closing seconds of that game too. And where it seemed like, okay, this thing is actually going to go into overtime. First of all, did did you initially think that no, nope, this is it's a two, it's not a three? And then just the way that the Creighton kind of handled themselves in that moment too, just to close this thing out. What did you kind of take away? And just and what was, I mean, it was a fun game to watch as far as that goes, but just the the final minute itself. Oh well, those games are stressful as hell to watch because. Uh, <laughs> As much as people in the in the stands are like, ooh, ah, like I'm I'm the one on deadline. So, <laughs> um, but, but the, I thought it was a three. I mean, the angle we sit at in the game, mm-hmm. like we're facing Jordan Hawkins is facing us, and it's at an angle to where like heads are passing his feet, so you can't get a clear yeah. angle of his feet. And with our, you know, less than advantageous angle we're probably not looking at his feet anyway um and so i thought it was a three but when, when they went to review it i wasn't surprised because it did feel like you you know you kind of your peripheral gets a feel for where guys are on the floor and it, it felt like okay maybe he was hugging the line um and then when you watch on the video oh, it's like oh damn yeah he, he he was on the line yeah um and so that was that whole sequence was wild to just watch unfold uh, because those last two minutes or so were like, they were exhilarating, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, Hawkins, he, you, you watch a game like that, you kind of get a feeling a dude like that is going to hit a shot that yeah. big. Um, you can never keep that good of a shooter um, from impacting the game, at least a little bit. And um, I, I saw that. And then it, it really unfolded like a, KD, man. I, I actually feel bad for Hawkins, honestly. All right. He is a dude. Approach this from both angles, because I think this gives you a sense of of more of which gives Creighton an opportunity, is if I told you the way that game was played where every possession was a grind and guys were getting after it guarding, and then there were some fouls that were called and there were key fouls, 
whether it be Trey Alexander that staples him to the bench and only plays 23 minutes, but when he was on the floor, he got every one of those 17 points was key. But approach it from Danny Hurley and Greg McDermott. If they pick up the box score when they're walking off the floor Saturday afternoon and you look and see Connecticut only attempted one free throw in the second half, what does that say about both teams or the game in, in, it, in, in that sense? Um, well, obviously Creighton is one of the better teams at not fouling. I mean, you can point to some of the officiating. You know, people know by now I, I hate, hate bringing officiating into the discussion because uh, we're like in a bad officiating epidemic. Um, mm-hmm. No game is ever good enough. Um, but but all jokes aside, Creighton is one of the best teams in the country at not fouling. And um, I think you saw – uh, a lot in that second half, really. Um, I mean, UConn was having their way on the old glass, uh, tossing Creighton around, but Creighton was chasing every ball. They weren't letting uh, plays go that easy. I mean, they, they could have easily went down eight or ten during that second half when when UConn was just dominating the old glass, and they didn't. They're they're defending without fouling. They're going after every ball. Um, I mean, it's impressive stuff, man. And uh, for Hurley, it, it, it's probably got to piss you off because um, there were ample opportunities to to really probably put Creighton away, uh, and they didn't get to the line. I mean, it was a physical game, I think, uh, in that second half. They surely let them play yeah. uh, a lot more than the first. So, Hey, we'll get you out on this because uh, it's happened since you were last with us, and LeBron becomes the uh, all-time uh, scoring champion. Got booted the Super Bowl yesterday. <laughs> Showed everybody he had a fake crown that he put on his head. We had this discussion last week. So he's atop the scoring chart, which is unbelievable. That record stood for almost 40 years, and LeBron breaks it. But if you need one bucket, doesn't matter if it's a a step-back fadeaway three or you got to put your head down and get to the rim or a mid-range jump shot, you need one bucket in the history of the NBA. Who are you taking? Hmm, this is tough. And I and, and, um, and if it, I, and I don't want to put you on the spot. If you want to wait, we can talk about it next Monday. No, I'm I'm a Kobe guy, so that that mm. that was my first thought. But um, I'm I'm not one of those who who says, "Oh, LeBron isn't one of the top three or so scorers of all time," just because just because of aesthetics and his mm-hmm. bag and whatever. Man, I'm I'm not one of those. Nobody becomes the the leading all time scorer, and you got to think he had been the all-time scorer um, in terms of playoffs and everything. Um, nobody becomes that by not being a great scorer. Um, you got to factor in gravity and everything. So, honestly, um, I would be really comfortable with, let's say, Miami Barn. Um, good designation. The guy who I, I need a bucket from. Good designation. Joel, we appreciate it. Great work. Enjoy uh, a couple of road games this week. Thanks, guys. Uh, Creighton is at Providence. They are at uh, St. John's. Yeah, I like that as well. Miami, LeBron. Uh, he was. I mean, he's that game yeah. six against Boston right there is what I uh, thought of when he Chicago said Chicago MJ. Yeah, I mean, this is this, can't this, go wrong with that either. Think about the NBA. Is there's these, these kind of discussions? This keeps the the NBA uh, up front. I mean, look at NBA trade deadline last week. When you're with a men's college basketball team and the trade deadline happens, I had to be. Fun. I basically, <sighs> I basically was hosting an NBA. Uh, talk show. Yeah, it was guys. a little bit going on that so day. So you didn't too. show up there. So we yeah. got okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
These guys know they're like, well, you know what? That's a dead cap now, and they'll yeah. just buy them out and they can move. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay, it's good. All right, too good many, content here. Too many Laker fans though. Yeah. yeah. All right, good show, everybody. Uh, Post Super Bowl, go go get a nap. Uh, I will eventually. I'll see the uh, good folks in the journalism class over at Prep here in a little bit. All right, big podcasting day. We're talking yeah. about podcasting. Yeah, yeah. We used to have a podcast. Now we don't got no podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, for uh, Jimmy, for uh, Nick, I'm Gary. We're back again uh, tomorrow with another edition of Mornings with Sharp and Hanley. The crossover with Connor and Josh is next.